Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Gather for ordered worship, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God upon this first Sunday of Advent, a season of preparation, a season of prayer, a season of penitence. We welcome you. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. In this November light, let us watch for what lies beneath the shadow. Let us listen for what is almost, but not quite, said. Wrote Frost, my sorrow when she's here with me thinks these dark days of autumn rain are beautiful as days can be. She loves the bear, the withered tree. She walks the sodden pasture lane. Not yesterday I learned to know the love of bare November days before the coming of the snow. Yet it were vain to tell her so, and they are better for her praise. As the choir sings our traditional Kyrie, Lord have mercy, may we bow in silent confession. Let us pray. Receive again, beloved, the gospel of grace, peace, pardon, mercy, forgiveness, inclusion, and new life. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mount of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 122 responsibly with the Antiphon. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper those of you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. rise as you are able for the glory of Hatri, the reading of the gospel, and the singing of the hymn. See? 
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. Glory to you, O Lord. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. The gist of today's gospel is clear enough. We cannot see or know the future. So we ought to live on the qui vive. Health there is, to be sure, and succor, and a full acceptance and recognition of such a humble epistemology and such a rigorous ethic. 
Let us admit to the bone our cloud of unknowing about the days and hours to come. And let us live every day and every hour of every day as if it were our last song and sacrament, sermon and prayer. They will guide us this Advent along this very path come Sunday mornings, including this very morning. What is less clear is the meaning of the phrase, the coming of the Son of Man. What is the nature of this coming? Who is the person so named? What difference, existential difference, everlasting difference, does any of this make? What did Jesus actually say here? On what score did the primitive Christian community remember and rehearse his teaching? Did Matthew have a dog in this fight? How has the church, age to age, interpreted the passage? We shall pose these four questions to verses 36 to 44 in the 24th chapter of the Gospel bearing the name of Matthew, and then apply the verses to ourselves. Jesus. Jesus may have used this phrase, though over late-night refreshment in 1997, Marcus Borg once pushed hard that it is a later church appellation. It may have been both. This phrase coming out of Daniel chapter 7, did Jesus hear this read and hold it in memory? And the stock Jewish apocalyptic of Jesus' day was as much a part of his environment as the sandals on his feet, the donkey which he rode, the Aramaic which he spoke, the Palestinian countryside which he loved, and the end of time which he expected in that contemporary generation. Did he understand himself to be that figure, the Son of Man? We cannot see and we cannot say, though I think it unlikely, That is, Jesus used the phrase, most probably, but not of himself, most probably. It is Mark and the author of Enoch who have given us the Son of Man in its full sense, and it is Matthew alone among the Gospel writers who uses the coming in the technical sense. The soprano voice of Jesus is far lighter in the Gospel choruses than we would think or we would like. Church. Mark, Luke, and Matthew carry forward these standard end-of-world predictions, as read today. Our lectionary clips out the mistaken acclamation of 2434, just two verses ahead of our reading, but we should hear it. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Like the waiting figures in the glass menagerie, the earlier church has hung on to these blown glass elements while awaiting a never-returning person like that fictive telephone operator who had fallen in love with long distances. They preserve, these scriptures do, the menagerie in fine glass of hopes deferred that make the heart sick. That generation and 70 others have passed away before any of this has taken place, contrary to the gospel. We do not expect, literally expect, these portents any longer, nor should we. They are part of the apocalyptic language and imagery which was the mother of the New Testament and all Christian theology since, a beloved mother long dead. The Son of Man was the favorite hope child of that mother a long, low, alto aria this. 
Yet we should and do hear these apocalyptic passages come Advent. They are part of our shared family history. Matthew. To his credit and to our benefit, Matthew makes his editorial, redactorial moves to accommodate what he has taken over from Mark 13. The point of apocalyptic eschatology is ethical persuasion here and in the sibling synoptic passages. Watch. Be ready. Live with your teeth set. Let the servants, the leaders of Matthew's day, be found faithful. After 37 excoriating verses directed against the Pharisees in chapter 23, you remember whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness, the hard truth about religion at our worst. And after 43 further verses in chapter 24 of standard apocalyptic end-time language, including the reading today, Matthew pulls up, he locks and loads and delivers his sermon. You must be ready. The figure of the future is coming at an hour you do not expect. Hail the Matthew tenor. Tradition. Immediately the church scrambled to reinvent and reinterpret. Basso profundo. One example found early in the passage will suffice. Of that day no one knows, not even the sun, except that some texts take out even the sun in deference to Jesus' later and higher person. It is, finally, and except for odd, occasional oddball readings, like that of the Montanists in the second century and that of the fundamentalists in the 21st, it is the Church's view that apocalyptic language and imagery convey the future as unknowable and the present as unrepeatable. The future as unknowable and the present as unrepeatable. To sum up, as soon as we reach out to grasp the future, it has slipped past us, already flying down the road to the rear into the past. The present itself is no better because its portions of past and future are tangled permanently together. We do have the past, neither dead nor past, or do we? Memory and memoir spill into each other with the greatest of ease. One agnostic admitted that music performed was his closest approximation of God, the presence of God, the proof of the existence of God. We have listened a moment ago to a beautiful anthem with rapt attention. One trusted Christian, it may have been you, sensed grace and grace in the grace of worship unlike any other. Every one moment is a veritable mystery. Music is a veritable mystery. So, next week, too, the Eucharist, a veritable mystery. My body and my blood, these are mysteries so named sacramentum to this day. How shall you respond to the mystery of life? Sleepers awake, there is not an infinite amount of unforeseen future in which to come awake and to become alive. There does come a time when it is too late, allowing the valence of it to be as broad as the ocean and as wide as life. 
You do not have forever to invest yourself in deep rivers of Holy Scripture, whatever they may be for you. It takes time to allow the holy to make you whole. It takes time to allow the holy to make you whole. Begin. You do not have forever to seek in the back roads of some tradition, whatever it may be for you, the corresponding hearts and minds which and who will give you back your own most self. It takes time to uncover others who have had the same quirky interests and fears you do. Begin. You do not have forever to sift and think through what you think about, what lasts and matters and counts and works. Honestly, who could complain about young people seeking careers, jobs, employment, and work? Do so, by all means. But work alone will not make you human, human, nor allow you to become a real human being. Life is about vocation and avocation, not merely about employment and unemployment. You are being sold a bill of goods here. Be watchful. It takes time to self-interpret that deceptively crushing verse, let your light so shine before others. Begin. You do not have forever to experience presence. It is presence, spirit, good for which we long, for which, nay, for whom we are made. It takes time to find authentic habits of being, What for you makes the heart sing, the soul pray, the spirit preach? Your heart, not someone else's, your soul, not someone else's, your spirit, not someone else's. Come Advent, begin. For you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. For example... How do you deal with hurt that comes from a person you deeply love, a relationship you truly enjoy, an institution you firmly affirm, or a friendship you lastingly cherish? Was yours a contentious Thanksgiving feast? It is one thing to think about pain, permanent or passing, that comes in collision with others whom we do not know well or care for. These traffic accidents are perhaps to be expected in the rush hours of relational experience. When we do not know one another or not well, we can miss cues and generate miscues that those more familiar would avoid. Not knowing you, I did not know and would never have expected that you are an avid Yankees fan and... If I had, I would never have said what I did directly about Alex Rodriguez. Well, I probably wouldn't have done. But what about the church you deeply love when disappointment comes from the pulpit? What about that lifetime friend who says something unpleasant and hurtful? What about that employer whom you revere and admire, to whom you give both creativity and loyalty? What about that community group whose organizational needs you have selflessly met that then makes a statement or takes a decision that causes you pain? Or what about the country you love when its voice, its choice, 
deeply disappoint. In short, what happens when those you love hurt you? How do you deal with that? Perhaps you will erupt in the moment, lash out in reaction without any due process of reflection because the moment needs it and you have or feel you have no choice. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Be angry and let not the sun go down on your anger. This may cause more problems than it solves, of course, but you may have had no choice. Sometimes it's just better to stand and fight. Perhaps, though, flight is better. You may sense that you just want to put some distance between yourself and your source of pain, institutional, relational, or personal. A little time, a little distance, a little pause, a little absence. Then a cooling off, it may be, not a squaring off. In some measure, that may suit you and the challenge. You did not start it. You need not take responsibility for it. Shake the dust from your feet. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient to the day. You see how tough it can be, even especially when you know the Bible, to pick out the right verse for the right time. Flight postpones, but not in healing tones. The trouble is still there, though it may just dissipate on its own. Not all battles have to be fought. Sometimes it's better to take flight. Perhaps playing dead is the way to go. You know, like animals do, they just curl up and become a log or a part of the scenery. Let life go along and let the conversation play out. You do not need to oppose. You do not need to repose. You can just pose in silence. You can use the silent treatment, present but quiet. This could work, though there is a quality of falsehood about it. It may depend on just how substantial the fender bender was, how hurtful the collision, how extreme the traffic accident. Silence alone has limits to its beneficence. Still, as the man said, I would rather remain silent and be thought a fool than to open my mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes it's just better to keep your own counsel and play dead. You have, though, at least one other option, and it is an advent option. Fight, flight, play dead if need be. Yet you might also, well, wait We are approaching Advent, are we not? Wait upon the Lord. That is, you might think through what happened, both putting the best and worst lights upon it. You might pray about it. You might hold it in prayerful thought. You might think out ahead of time a couple of sentences that you could caringly use should the institution, relationship, or person provide an opening for that. And then you would have to hurry up and wait to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, I have had that interchange in mind since it happened, you might say. Honestly, for whatever reason, It really hurt. But 
given the joy, love, happiness, meaning, and help you have given me over so much time. It's just one brief solar eclipse that comes once a decade when all else is sunshine. Thanks for asking. For example, for those still reeling a bit from the last 18 months and the last 18 days in these United States, we may ask, how do you feel and what have you learned? How do you feel? Your protege, now 10 years out from his Marsh Chapel choir experience and his decision to enter ministry alongside his choir member bride, now they riding in Philadelphia, says, I feel like I've been kicked in the smug. How do you feel? And what have you learned? What are the lessons to be stowed away for future use as birthday gifts years from now, gifts on the go, as it were, for future generations when questions are asked? What lessons? The lesson that those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities, as Voltaire said. The lesson that we tend to see what we want to see. The lesson that both sexism and racism lurk, endure, live, and breathe. The lesson that in some dark seasons, selfishness trumps charity, anger trumps reason, hatred trumps comity, bigotry trumps friendship. The lesson that voting, the act itself, matters, really matters. The lesson that gathering in a rally, say, or better, in worship, say, empowers, enlivens, motivates for ill or good. Do you worship? Advent is a good time in which to approach worship. The sad lesson that some to win are willing to enter the sphere of demagoguery, quote, sometimes you have to use a certain kind of rhetoric to motivate people. Can you hear that? It begs to be heard. Or even the basic technological lesson that email, whether well served on its servers or ill served by its servants, serves to dehumanize as a subhuman form of communication. Or how about this? The lesson that what one means by an act, a word, a statement, a sermon, a vote, say, is not all that such an act means. We will experience Advent through this very lesson this month. The lesson, that is, that what you in your heart meant by an act, a word, a statement, a vote, is not, in fact, the limit of what that vote meant. In fact, it is a small part, the greater part of the meaning being found in the effect, the impact, the historical influence of the vote. The meaning of a text is found in the future it opens, the future it imagines, the future it creates so our friend Ray Hart. So too the meaning of an act, a word, a statement, a vote, say, 
is found in the future, bright or dark, which it creates. What you meant is not what it means. For that, you have to listen to those harmed or helped by it. Meaning is social, not individual. Hence our use of words, our developed language, our investment in culture, our life in community. You may have meant it in one way, but its meaning is found along another. Such hard, tragic, expensive lessons to have to learn and relearn. The gist of today's gospel is clear enough. We cannot see or know the future. We ought to live, therefore, on the vive. Health there is, to be sure, and succor in a full acceptance and recognition of such a humble epistemology and such a rigorous ethic. Let us admit to the bone our cloud of unknowing about the days and hours to come. Let us live every day and every hour of every day as if it were our last. Song and sacrament, sermon and prayer, they will guide us along this very path come Sunday morning, come this very morning as well, as together in Advent, in faith and hope and love, we move forward together. as we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord. We invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in your place, respond with your first language, however you are so moved by the Spirit. I will set the intention, and then we'll say, in your grace, if you would please respond. Hear our prayer. Beloved, in peace, let us pray to God. For ourselves, as individuals, and for the communities of which we are a part. For our particular ministries in the world. For our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life. For the work of all the Church. 
in your grace, hear our prayer. For the peace of the world, for a spirit of respect and forbearance among nations and peoples, in your grace, hear our prayer. With and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those in positions of public trust, especially for our President Barack and his administration, for our President-elect Donald and his administration, for our Governor Charles and his administration, and for our Mayor Martin and his administration, for their service to justice and their promotion of the dignity and freedom of all people. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the work of our hearts, minds, and hands, and for the right use of the riches of creation, in your grace, hear our prayer. For the poor, the persecuted, the sick, and all who suffer, for slaves, refugees, prisoners, and all who are in danger, for their relief and protection, in your grace, hear our prayer. For this community, those present and those absent, for our deliverance from hardness of heart, and for our showing forth your glory in all that we do. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For ourselves and for the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to help us to amend our lives and to choose the good. In your grace, hear our prayer. For all those who have asked for our prayers and those for whom you inspire us to pray, family, friends, colleagues, and neighbors, for their freedom from anxiety and their living in peace and health. In your grace, hear our prayer. For all who have died, for your will fulfilled in them, and for their family and friends, in your grace, hear our prayer. For the joys and celebrations of our human life, in your grace, hear our prayer. And in the communion of the Holy Spirit and of all the saints, we commend ourselves and one another to the living God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us when we pray to be bold in trust and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Marsh Chapel. We are delighted to greet you whether you're here in the nave at 735 Commonwealth Avenue in Boston, listening by radio airwaves at 90.9 WBUR, or by internet signals via the podcast. We are glad you are with us today. Marsh Chapel seeks to be a heart in the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city, open to all, black, brown, white, gay, straight, queer, believing, questioning, and those just looking for community. On this first Sunday of Advent, we proclaim good news for all people. We want to get to know you better and partner with you in ministry. If you are in the pews, find a red pad and share your name and learn the name of your neighbor. If you're listening, email us about your virtual presence with us at chapel at bu.edu or give us a call at 617-353-3560. Ray Bouchard, the director of the chapel, would be glad to receive your call. We look forward to greeting you by name. I turn now to a few announcements. This afternoon, Dean Hill will be making pastoral visits in home and hospital and for the staff, uh, you, if you are so inclined to join him, please speak to him after worship. We invite your generous financial support of Marsh Chapel for 2017. Consider endowing the deanship, a $4 million gift, or consider a pledge. Uh, cards are available uh, to estimate your giving for 2017 and to help us plan for our work together. Consider a planned gift through will or bequest, or consider a percentage of income gift from 1% to 10% as a new discipline in 2017. You can find more information about giving to the Ministry of Marsh Chapel on our website, www.bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. The Lord loves a joyful giver, and we so appreciate your support. A few announcements about upcoming services. Next Sunday, December 4th at 3 p.m., there will be a blue Christmas service, a time when we can recognize the blue feelings we may have during the Christmas season and acknowledge the reasons for them and offer these feelings to God. The dates for lessons and carols are December 9th 
and December 11th. And following the service on December 11th, there will be an open house at the castle with the dean and Jan. And finally, invite a friend to join you on Christmas Eve here at 1 p.m. or at 7.30 p.m. And now as the ushers wait upon those in the pews, we remember it is both a joy and a discipline to be a giver.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these gifts and charity. We, th- we pray that we may use this to continue our efforts in being vessels of your love to those around us. We pray that we never forget the beauty and mystery it is to love, to care, and to give. Help our community continue to be a heartbeat and an outpouring of love to the larger tapestries and communities in which we serve and be in our hearts and minds always. Through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. sun shall warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs>